Well, thank you for being here this morning. We're continuing with this subject that I felt the Holy Spirit give to us concerning God's love. And, you know, if we were to ask other people in the church, not outside the church, but in the church, what is God's love? Explain it. Talk about it. We may or may not connect it adequately to the attributes of God. We may talk about it as if it exists in and of itself separate from everything else about who God is and about the way God works. And so what we have been learning is God's love, and we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, is both an absolute attribute of God. It is who he is within himself. And it is also a relative attribute of God. It is expressed in a communicating way to us in our lives as a result of, his, of us being his people. And so we've come to the place where we have are dealing with probably, and I want you to hear this very carefully today. We're in the area where this issue of what is God's love to people in the church and especially people out of the church where this issue becomes very contentious and difficult, a problem. We begin to discuss today that issue of God's love that separates what the Bible says, what God says about himself and his love from the natural understanding and desire and thoughts and opinions of other people, even in the church. And so thank you for being here today. If you have not been keeping up with us online, some of this may be somewhat disconnected to you, but you, this is like, what is this lesson, number nine or ten or somewhere around there? Number ten. And so let me encourage you again. Please go online and listen to the nine lessons before. So this morning, last lesson, we spoke about God's relative attribute of his righteousness through which he communicates his holiness through his ways and his works. Now that's essential. God's righteousness is the activity of God into the world to his people. Which means that what he is doing and how he is doing it and when he is doing it and what he is doing it and what he is doing and not doing, all of it absolutely and comprehensively has to do with a clear and consistent and compelling revelation of his intrinsic holiness, of his purity, 
of his perfection. This is what God's righteousness is. It is the activity of his holiness, of his purity, of his perfection into our lives, into the activities of the world relating to us and dealing with us and dealing with the world. So we, also, we noted that the word righteous and the word just, because remember, the Bible says God is both righteous and just, his righteousness and his justice. We noted that these two words are the same word in the Bible, but the distinction is that the word just has to do with a legal standard, that in relation to what is legally right, God is that way, which means that whatever God does is morally and ethically perfect. If you would, he is always working and ministering in a way that is morally in moral correspondence with, if you would, his law. There is no unrightness about God. And God's righteousness is a relative attribute, which is the expression of his justice, of him being just. How do we know he's just? We know he's just by the ways he works, which is the expression of his holiness, which are the activities of his righteousness. So I'm going to skip a little bit in here, so I'm continuing on. All of this is critical. It's critical in order for us to have a biblically accurate understanding of God's love. Do we understand that? Righteousness, understanding God's righteousness is critical to us understanding what God's love is in its activity in our lives. So we can, if you would, make sense of what's going on in the Bible. And so it's important that we always remember that God's love is what? Always a righteous love. Why? Because he is in himself love. So when is God's love always When is God's love righteous? When? Always. There's never a time when God's love is not a righteous love. And the difficulty comes in, as we see, when we people, and we understand this, and especially those who are not of the body of Christ, begin to evaluate what God's love is or what it should be and how it's working and how it shouldn't be working and whether it's truly love and not love, when it is evaluated upon the basis of our own personal, natural inclinations and understandings. And as the people of God, we must make sure that when we are witnessing, when we are participating in God's love, we must make sure that the definition is, is what I'm doing, is what I'm seeing according to God's righteousness, not according many times to what I understand is love or what I think love should be or what I appreciate as love. And so if we were to evaluate our own dispositions in this, we would find that Often, maybe too often, our evaluation and our understanding of God's love has been too disconnected from his righteousness. And so today, let's see what we have here.
God's love is a righteous love. Why? Because his love for his personal holiness. Remember what we said. Righteousness is the activity of God's holiness in action. And so his love is a righteous love because his love is a holy love. It has to do with the disposition or the, if you would, the declaration, the activity of his holiness. To say that God's love is a righteous love is to affirm that God's love is his perfect passion for who he is within himself. And this is where it begins to be important for us to make sure we understand what is going on with God's love. God's passion for who he is. God's passion for who he is. God's passion for how he is. God's passion for his own purity, for his own perfection, is, requires rather, that his love be in correspondence with that passion. And that passion is worked out righteously. And so what we see God do is in relation to his own personal passion for his own purity and his own rightness. This is what regulates everything that God does. Not we don't regulate it. It's not given to us because of something we need or what we don't need. God's love is always generated within himself and is always an expression of who he is to us. So God's love is a righteous love because his love is an intra-Trinitarian love that displays the interpersonal love among the divine persons. God's love is a righteous love because his love always displays, as we said, his personal holiness. God's greatest passion is not for us. God's greatest passion is for himself. And you may say, well, well this is, this, that's egotistical. I mean, wouldn't we say, if I said to you, my greatest love and my greatest passion is about me. What does that say about me? What, I'm selfish? I'm self-absorbed? I'm an egotist? It says to me that I'm wrong. If I say to you, my greatest passion is about who I am. How long do you think I would remain an elder in this church? You know? Now, maybe a couple of you would really want to stand up and battle me because, Steve, you would say, no, 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 it's who I am. You see, and then that's where the trouble begins because we begin to contest with one another because in us, it's who I am is important. And don't confront that. But is it wrong for God to be passionate about himself this way? Is it? In fact, it would be wrong for God not to be this way. Why? Because God is right in how he loves himself. The love that is within the Godhead between the Father and the Son by the Spirit. This is the right way because God is pure and holy and perfect. There is no imperfection in God whatsoever and forever. And so it's not only not wrong, 
It is absolutely right. It would be wrong if God were not this way. So, so let's think about it again. Let me say it again. God loves, if you would, himself with a passion. God is passionately desiring and purposeful to show how great he is. Now, when we hear that, come on, how many of you that really kind of hits you a little bit wrong? Come on, right? Come on, okay, okay. Why? Because you see, we are 100% self-absorbed and self-centered in a way that is wrong because we are not perfect and pure. And so when we are centered in and purposed for that which is not holy and pure and perfect, it's wrong to be that way. But with God, he is that way because who he is. Do we see that? And so anything external or outside or apart from this kind of love this love that God has within himself that is expressed among the three persons of the Trinity in a perfect community of fellowship and relationship. Anything that is not of that is wrong. Why? Because only God is holy. Only God is perfect. Do we see that? And so the expression or the activity of righteousness is the activity of God's love for himself, the love that God has within himself, for himself, among the three persons of the Trinity. Again, if we felt that way, we would be wrong. We could be called what? Egotists. But in, and I want to say this very carefully. And I I think we always take chances in saying things, and hopefully you're following within the context. In the right and perfect way, God is the only egocentric being who can be egocentric in truth. Do we follow this today? Do we follow this today? So this means that God's greatest passion is a passion for who he is within himself. We must keep that in mind. Please do not infer or confuse God's love for us. That that is his primary passion. He directs his love toward us for the purpose of revealing and displaying his primary passion. Which is the passion for himself. For the love that exists within the Trinity among the three persons of the Trinity. For his holiness, for his purity, for his rightness. For all of the attributes of who he is. This is God's passion. This is the display of God's glory. And so we have been created for the purpose that God would share that. He didn't have to do this, but he chose to do it, that he would share himself with us by placing into his people 
this same passion by placing into his people his own very nature so that he could express in us, through us and among us, who he is. Amen? This is where the love of God and the glory of God needs to be in our hearts and in our minds. You see, this means that God's greatest passion is who he is within himself, is a triune of three equal and distinct divine beings. We've talked about this. In a timeless relationship and fellowship of love. So in summary, God's love is the love that exists among the persons of the Trinity. It is the love that he has within himself for himself. It is the love for his perfection and his purity. It is the love that is perfectly and timelessly displayed in the Father's love for the Son and in the Son's reciprocal love for the Father. Do you remember, especially in John's gospel, Jesus says, I love the Father. And because I love the Father, I lay down my life. The Father loves me. And because the Father loves me, he has given me this command. And so that's what we're seeing mostly in the gospel of John. The display in a man of what it looks like. What this love of God looks like within God. And so we're watching a man. We're watching a man in his personal uh, morality. We're watching a man in his words, in his care, in his ministry. We're watching a man... In his preaching, we're watching a man in all the circumstances that he finds himself. We're watching a man who perfectly displays, although finitely, because as a, you remember he's a man so it can't be infinitely, but perfectly, although not infinitely, we're watching a man who displays or who opens to us the very heart of what the love of God is. That's what we're seeing in Jesus. And For that purpose, we have been saved so that in us also this same love may be in us and expressed to one another and among one another so that the church may be the, if you would, the temple of the living living love of God within us for to display to the world that they may know that Jesus is the Son of God. That they may know that God is a God of love. But a God of this kind of love and not in the love that the world says is love. You see, it is this love that God passionately defends as just through his righteous actions. This is the love that is righteous love. And because God's love is a righteous love, his love differentiates. And here's where the rubber hits the road because God's love is a righteous love a what a love for his own holiness are we getting this a love that passionately displays who he is in himself among the three persons of the trinity this divine family if you would or this divine community 
And because his love is a righteous love, it is a love that passionately not only displays his love, but passionately differentiates his love from all other kinds of love. And so when a love is not a righteous love, it is called unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is that activity which is not of God's own righteousness. Now you see, we like to say well, unrighteousness is this and that, and it is. But the essence of it is unrighteousness is the activity of human beings that is a display of that which is not God. Amen? That is not of God. Because God's love is a righteous love, his love differentiates between what is just and what is unjust, between what is righteous and what is unrighteous. And this is the place. This is the place where the world hates God and those who are born of God. And this is the place where even in the church, some have great difficulty with how God works. I mean, how many of us, and I'll raise my hand first, how many of us have called God into question when things have happened in a way that either we don't like or we don't understand? Anybody? Am I the only one who's ever called God into question? And so we, what we try to do is to figure it out and to explain it or whatever. Rather than to rest in this, I don't like it. I don't understand it. But I know something very basically. Because God is just. Because he is immutable. Remember we've talked about some of those words David talked to us about immutability and sovereignty. Because of who God is, even though I may not understand or even don't like what God is doing, what is happening in the world, how can God be sovereign in all these things happening? How can God be sovereign and this goes on? And How can that happen? My answer is this. I don't know, but I do know this, that whatever God does or when he doesn't do it or how he does it and when he does it and why he does it, it is always just and is always a function of his righteous love because his righteous love is always a love that displays who he is and opposes who he is not. Do we see that? And so I have to say to myself regularly when I hear the news and want to watch this and what's going on here and, and this one murdered that and it, you know, I have to say, wait a minute, Al, God is sovereign. And the fact of the matter is this, Al, everybody know Al over here? There's a big Al over here. Al, I have to remember this. And here's where, the, here's where the issue is. We like to be real in this class, okay? Let's not be too theological and forget about the realities of what theology is. You see, Al, when I 
here that so-and-so killed all the little children in that school. God's sovereignty also says to me what? God could have what? Stopped it. Say it again. Stopped it. Did you hear that? How many of us agree God's sovereignty could have stopped it? So, who can stand and explain the mystery here? Nettie, I don't get it. Mary, I don't get it. Rosa, I don't even like it. As far as human feeling is concerned. Are you following me on this? And what do I do with the sovereign God who is absolutely sovereign yet absolutely righteous in all of his ways? What I do, I do not call God's integrity into question because a finite being such as we are can in no way even begin to understand what an infinite, holy, timeless being is doing. Now, you may not like that, but it is simply the fact. What God is doing upon the earth, in my life and in your life, how much of it, Harold, is righteous? All of it. All of it is righteous. Why do I bear down on this? Because, you see, this is where we have the problem. Because God is always righteously working. He is always opposing that which is unrighteous. See, this is where the world hates God. If, if God were this lovey-dovey person, the world would love him. The reason the world hates Christians is that we are of a God who is righteous in all of his ways. Even though we may not often live that way. The problem with Jesus, oh, we love Jesus. He does this and he does that and he helps people. Oh, what a wonderful man. We embrace that kind of a man. But we don't like that kind of a man when he says, you're in danger of going to hell. We, don't lo- we love the word that says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, what? shall not perish but have an eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, what, Josh, may be saved. That's great news. But then read verse 18. It's in the same discourse. Remember John, John 3, 16, 17, 18. And what does Jesus say? For if you do not believe the son... You're condemned. But if you do believe the Son, you're not condemned. First John 5, 12 tells us the same thing. If you have the Son, what? You have what? The life. It's one of Frank's favorite scriptures. You remember that, Frank? And if you do not have the Son, you do not have what? The life. What life? The life of God. There's a problem. And it's a problem for believers. Hmm? Anybody here this morning? 
It's a problem for us. How can you say that my aunt who was Miss Sweetie Pie and Miss Lovey Dovey Dovey, whatever, how can you say that about her? Beth, I'm not saying it. Jesus said it. And it has to do with what? God's righteousness. So hopefully there is a reordering or restructuring or a redistribution or re-something in our own minds to begin to allow our understanding by the Holy Spirit of God's love to come into a better biblical context. Because you see, we cannot say that God is love and forget that he hates all unrighteousness. And here's where the serious problem is. Because God's love is a righteous love. Because he is passionately pursuing the display of his own holiness. He must as passionately oppose anything or anyone that is not a display of his own personal holiness. You have a six-year-old child. You have a six-year-old child. And your little sweetheart is sick. So you go to the doctor. And the diagnosis of the doctor is your little sweetheart, Judy, has leukemia. Your little sweetheart has leukemia. And this particular kind of leukemia is not, what would would we call it, uh, I'm sorry, what? Curable. Your child is going to die in six months. Your little girl is going to die. Your little boy is going to die. Now, how do you feel about leukemia? What? What word? Hate. Hate. You're supposed to be a loving person. Oh, no, no. You're supposed to be a loving person. Hate has no place in love. Hate must have a place in love. Otherwise, it's not love. I can't say, well, that's okay. I love my daughter, and, and it'll be okay. I'm fine with that. All of, a, some, all of a sudden, something very deep rises up within you. And you become a volcano of hatred and opposition to that, to that which is destroying your loved one. Is that right, Darlene? This is God's passion. His passion for who he is. And anything in our lives which is a cancer, sin, not of that same personhood of God. God's fury rises up and passionately, as his love is for himself, passionately rises up as a supervolcano to be opposing that which is not of himself. Do we see that? If he didn't, Mark, could God be truly a God of love as defined biblically? No. No. In fact, if the parent came home and you talk to the parent on the phone, and he told you or she told you what was happening, and then she said, and the parent said, but I'm okay with that. 
Ronnie, what would you say? There's something very wrong with that mama. Very wrong with that daddy. You see, God's love, because his love, God is God's love. He must reject all, everything that is contrary to himself. Do we see that this morning? I want to make sure we see that. Because God is love. 1 John 4, 8 and 16. Because God is love. He must, in loving defense of himself, violently, if you would, oppose all that which is not of his love. Violent. If you want to see how passionately set God is against any and all unrighteousness, any unrighteousness, any, any, even a drop. If you want to see the extent of the violent, eruptive, fiery opposition of a holy God against any and all unrighteousness, look at the cross. Look at the cross. For at the cross, the fury of the opposition and fire of God's wrath and hatred for anything and everything that is not of himself is poured out upon one man on our behalf. That's the love of God. Can you say amen? We must see God's love that way if we're going to understand and walk in God's love to be a correct and biblical manifestation of the love of God. If you question something, and I do, I, I, I have questions. Coach, I have questions. But when I have a question, my first glance should go to the cross. My first glance, Dwayne, my what? First glance, not my second or third. My first glance, Billy, must go where? To the cross. And to know that the God who did that at the cross, that whatever he's doing, Nick, is what? Right, amen, and is loving. And God's opposition to everything that is not of himself, that is unrighteous, is called his wrath. Whew. You know, there are many in the church who don't like the idea of the wrath of God. I mean, how many of us, if you would, allow me a pun, Gene taught me this, how many of us would warm up to the thought of hell? <laughs> is that okay, Sue? How many of us would warm up to the thought of hell? How many of us really believe, can God be a God who would do that? No, he can't be. What do you mean can't? Who are you that you say he can't be? But because God is a God of love, he has to be. Because you are a parent who loves your child, you have to be violently opposed to doing whatever is necessary to burn away all the cancer. Right? 
Short of that, you ain't a loving parent the way you should be. So God's love is a love that must be directed against all unrighteousness and wrath. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all sin and ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Romans 1.18. Romans 1.32. Although they, the unrighteous, know their, the ordinance of God, although they know the law of God, that those who practice such things are unworthy. See, the unrighteous, they're worthy of death. Romans 2.2. 2, we know that the judgment of God rightly or is just, rightly falls upon those who practice such unrighteous things. Do you have in your outline the, the scripture here itself? Okay. Let's think about Genesis 18, 17 to 33. God has promised Abraham that he and Sarah are going to have a child. Starting in chapter 12 of Genesis, God has appeared to Abraham. He's called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees. So Abraham leads his entire family and goes out into this wilderness area. And God regularly and repeatedly displays to Abraham a care, correction, protection, leadership. God regularly is displaying his righteous love to Abraham, right? Regularly. So Abraham, by the time we come to chapter 18, Abraham knows a few things about God's love, but he knows that God is a righteous God. Abraham knows that what God is righteous. In other words, what does that mean? That whatever God is doing, it's right. Abraham knows that. He knows that. And so we come to this passage, and in this passage, we see an example of God's righteousness at work, the righteous love of God. So let me read it to you, and Let's note as we go through it, and I don't know how your outline has this, but I want you to underline every time it's righteous or righteousness. So the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Verse 19, for I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness. By doing righteousness. In other words, doing what God does. And justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. So we see what? All of a sudden we see two words, righteousness and judgment. I mean justice. Do we see that? And the Lord said, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I will know. Now, that's an issue which we won't discuss that, but we obviously know God knows ahead of time. By the time we come to Abraham, Genesis 18, Abraham has been the recipient of God's righteous love. But will now we will now see it in relation to the unrighteousness of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham has been the recipient of God's righteousness, God's righteous love, mercy, kindness, goodness, long-suffering, forgiveness. That's what Abraham knows. But now we're going to see the other side of the love of God. 
the wrath of God against all unrighteousness. It's the, if you would, an extension of or an activity of the love of God. But the love of God for himself as a, in the, its opposition to that which is not of himself. Do we see that? At this point, Abraham begins to ask God about the righteousness of his intention. What do you mean you're going to kill everybody? I thought you were God of love. Do you, do you hear it in him? I thought you were God of love. How can a God of love do this? Abraham had to learn something about God's kind of love. You said you were loving God, and yet you're going to kill everybody? And how many of us would ask the same question? How can you do that and be a God of? Because we have defined love in our context and not within the context of God's holiness. Notice that Abraham would not ask, would a God of love destroy? He didn't ask that, Paul. He's talking about God's righteousness. It's amazing. Except for the word has said, the loving kindness of God, how much the Old Testament emphasizes not the love of God, but the righteousness of God. So his question is not about God's love, but about the righteousness of God's intention as demonstrated with the explicit and implicit use of the word righteousness. So let's go through this, and I think we'll see it. Abraham came near and said, are you with me where are you in your notes? Will you indeed sweep away the righteous, see the word righteous, with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous people within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth deal what? Justly. The Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous, and, and, and you will see the play on these words, righteous, unrighteous, and you will see it. And then he gets to play, if I find 30, the word righteous is implied. So the word righteousness is what? All over the place. And all of this is about one thing. God is showing Abraham what his righteousness love, what his righteous love is all about in a larger context than Abraham has understood before. And we as believers must see God's righteousness within this light. Otherwise, we are going to remain confused and upset. We'll have questions. And we'll never really have the kind of understanding and even maybe experience of God's love that we need to have. Can God ever do anything that is wrong? No. That means that everything God does or does not do is always what? Right. Or he's not God. But his rightness always is rightness about himself. Not about what we're seeing in the world as we define it. So next week, what we're going to talk about is what Paul's 
Paul's wording here, the righteousness of God, because here's the question. How can a righteous God, a God of absolute truth and holiness, how can he acquit, find not guilty sinners and remain himself just to himself? How can he do that? Do you, are you following me? How can God take an unrighteous people, ungodly, he calls it in Romans chapter 5. How can he take an ungodly people and walk with them in a way as if they're godly? How can he just sweep over their sin and ignore it? Is that what's happening here? Because I think it's highly instructed to see what the love of God has done and is doing in our lives and why we are, and how we are, where we are. So I want to ask this question. You may write it down if you want to. Has God made us righteous? Don't answer. You know, sometimes there's a little trick in my questions. Has God made us righteous? The answer is no. See you next week.